There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. Today's topic is all about building a practice regimen, whether you're a bow hunter, a gun hunter, or both. This is a big ask, my friends, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know the turkey season is still in full swing. I know the fishing is really good right now. I know the kids are in baseball and gymnastics and a bunch of other activities. I know that deer season, even early archery season, is still you know months away. Gun season is further away than that. Shooting doesn't seem to be a high priority right now. And honestly, kind of doesn't have to be a high priority. But target practice should at least be a low priority. Because if you make it so now, you'll be well ahead of your competition this fall. And we all want that. There are different ways to look at target practice, depending on what weapon you're using and what your experience level is. Let's say, I don't know, the rifle hunter with 45 consecutive seasons, all with filled tags, He's in a different place than the newbie bow hunter who has yet to fill a single tag, let alone shoot at a deer. Now that rifle hunter, I don't know, he might not need to do anything more than pull the old 270 out of the safe, I don't know, a few weeks before the season, head out to the range and run a few shells through it to make sure nothing has changed since last season. If the groups are tight and the scope is on, it's back into the safe with the gun until opening weekend. That little effort might be good enough for someone, but probably not you or I. Reducing target practice down to a simple task of checking your rifle zero or making sure your bow is still on at 20, 30, and 40 yards, it's really selling the opportunity short. The stuff's just, it's not about just whether a certain weapon in your hands at a perfectly chosen moment can send bullets or arrows where they're supposed to go. Now, I don't want to get shitty about this, but I'm going to. If you go to a rifle range or a bow range right before your state's deer season opens up, you'll see plenty of examples of what not to do. I'll never forget years ago being at a gun range before Minnesota's season opened up and watching a guy introduce his son, who was 12, 
to a 20-gauge slug gun. Instead of setting him up on a bench to shoot where he would have a nice rest, the guy loaded a couple slugs into that shotgun and had the kid stand and shoot offhand at a target that was 20 yards away. The first slug hit six inches to the left. The second slug hit farther to the left. But to be fair, the kid didn't have hearing protection on and was flinching like you'd probably expect him to. Now, after seeing the second shot, the dad took the gun and took aim himself. Again, offhand and with no hearing protection. The third hole in the target was, I don't know, about half a foot to the left. And he said something I will never forget. He looked at his son and he said, just remember to compensate for that and aim about six inches to the right. Listen, I don't know how that kid's season went, but I can imagine. While that's an extreme example, I see I don't know, the, the bow hunter version of it every year at an archery range by my house. And not just with you shooters either who have poor mentors. I once watched a full-grown man struggle to draw his bow back and then miss an entire four-foot-by-four-foot bale type of target from 15 yards away twice. And this was three weeks before the deer season opened up. Now, here's the thing about target practice and getting into a shooting routine. It's just like getting in shape or training a dog. It's not about putting in a marathon's worth of whatever right before the event. Shooting a thousand arrows in five days after not shooting for nine months does not do you any good. Just like taking a lab that hasn't seen a bumper or been given a real command all summer and suddenly trying to do a three-hour session right before duck season opens up. That's a little too late, my friends. Another example of this happens with Western hunts a lot. And if you don't believe this, ask an outfitter who specializes in elk hunting if this has ever happened to him. When you plan to go elk hunting, especially if you live in the Midwest or the East, the notion that it's time to get in real shape is real. It hangs over your head and it makes you very aware of the time between now and the trip. A lot of hunters put off getting into any kind of shape until the hunt is really close and then they decide to run. Or, I don't know, put a couple sandbags in their backpack and climb the hills by the high school. They get injured, often slightly, but enough to sideline their workouts. And they show up out west in worse shape than they'd have been in if they didn't make a hero's last attempt at getting into shape. Some of the best things we can do for ourselves involve long game approaches to fitness and to shooting. Now, not everyone wants to get into shape. That's fine by me. You do you. But the shooting thing is different because we should all be working to be the best we can with our chosen weapons. That means it's time to start now if you're not shooting already. It's time to make a commitment to just a couple of sessions a week. Now, if you're a bow hunter, that might mean, I don't know, 10 or 20 arrows a session, maybe three times a week. That's a pretty light lift, but it's a cumulative effort that will add up to a real level of dedication over several months. For gun hunters, a couple times a week is too big of an ask and most likely probably not really necessary. You know, you look at the logistics of shooting and hell, lately just a matter of getting any ammo in your hands, it's a different thing. And if you can find your chosen ammo, you got to try to not go broke buying it. It's not, not a great situation out there. But a once per month session, it might be doable. A half a box of shells at a time, that's probably plenty. 
Seasoned shooters could get away with less, but newbies and anyone who isn't overly confident with a firearm could greatly benefit from the familiarity that comes with stacking up sessions like that as the summer leads into fall. This is important, and not for the reason that you want to be able to just shoot tight groups. You do want that. You want that at typical shot distances and shot distances that are farther than you'd likely ever take on a deer. Accuracy is important, and the ability to use your weapon to the best of your abilities is a worthy goal. Now, here's where things get tricky. I'm sure there are some folks listening to this who are saying, well, hell, yeah, I'm going to shoot more. I've got a bow range in my backyard, or I've got the old quarry down the road to bring my 308 to and blast away. This is easy, and I'm going to do just that. Now, others are listening and thinking, man, this is going to be tough. I got to drive 45 minutes to the rifle range, which has gotten more expensive than ever this year. And then I've got to burn through a couple boxes of ammo that I really like and that my gun really likes just to get better at shooting when I'm already pretty good. Or uh, I got to load up my block target in the back of my truck and drive out of town to some patch of public land where you're kind of really not supposed to target shoot on, sort of, but no one ever really says anything. So maybe I can swing that but sure as hell not three times a week for months. Here's the thing about target practice. If it's not easy to come by, most of us won't do it very often. I know this because I live in the suburbs of the Twin Cities, a place that is not all that conducive to just randomly firing off weapons whenever the mood strikes. I do have some nice neighbors who look the other way when I'm shooting the bow in my yard, which I do a lot. And in the years living here, I've never had anyone say anything to me or report me to the city for that, even though it is legal where I live. I'm pretty sure it would be a different story if I wanted to shoot some guns here, though. Finding a place to sight in my muzzleloader or shoot one of my deer rifles, that's a different story. It sucks. In fact, it's one of the reasons I don't gun hunt as much as I'd like. I used to love muzzleloader hunting and shooting muzzleloaders and messing with guns, but it's an expensive hassle where I live. I do have options, but they're not great. And that keeps me from practicing as much as I like. It also keeps me from hunting with guns, mostly, and that kind of sucks. So believe me, guys and gals who are listening to this, I get it. It's not always easy. And really, if you're looking to get better with a deer rifle or even a shotgun and some slugs, you're just on your own. You got to find your own way to do this. With archery tackle, finding a spot to shoot can be a lot easier. Fewer excuses there, my archery loving friends. Now, I mentioned that I have some targets on the side of my house where I can shoot which is nice because I can reach out to about 50 yards there. That covers me for an awful lot of practice sessions. But I've also got a few friends who also have targets at their houses who don't live too far away. And they let me shoot farther distances. And I also always, always, always have at least one portable target in my possession. Often more than one. And if you ask my wife, sometimes way more than my garage can reasonably hold. A portable target, one that is actually easy to throw in the back of your truck and drive to wherever, I really think that's a necessity. I think that is the best way to go when you're trying to become a better bow shot because a portable target like that with bullseyes on it that you can set up anywhere and then having one 3D target is a good choice to have. Now, those 3D targets aren't quite as portable. That's a different thing. They're often a little more expensive, but you can do a lot with just those two targets. But having a portable target is the most important part. Now, you can also get creative, too, because it's the repetition of the shot sequence and the comfort and familiarity that goes along with it that often means the difference between totally flaming out on a buck or hitting them in the crease right behind the shoulder. Now, Some folks practice in their garage, others in their basement. 
I do this every winter, usually when I'm setting up a new bow or getting ready for turkey season and I don't want to stand outside and freeze my giblets off. Now, an eight-yard shot isn't really going to make you the next Levi Morgan, but it will help you execute a shot well. If you choose a small enough aiming point, it will help you with your accuracy as well. It'll also help you with your overall muscle memory, and that's really important. That's the thing we don't talk about much, but shooting a bow requires a little bit of muscle. The problem is that most of us can draw our bows and shoot without thinking about the physical exertion. Now, if you can't do that, your bow's probably set way too heavy on its draw weight. You need to lower it back down. But if you can, and you should be able to, it doesn't really mean much. What you want to be able to do is slowly draw your bow straight back to your face without skying your bow arm or grunting like a wildebeest giving birth or even showing just the little slightest bit of struggle. Slow, deliberate movements are the telltale signs of a functional strength. Uh, Think about it this way. One of the ways to get your heart rate up and work on your balance and leg strength is by doing box jumps. For those of you who don't know what they are, it's when you jump up on a box or some other box-like object you might find at your gym. That's a good move for folks looking to get into shape, but a really good test for your balance and your leg strength is not jumping up on a box, but slowly stepping down off a box. Anyone who can real slowly, calmly, and deliberately step down from a box has their leg strength and overall balance game on point. Now, if this sounds weird, imagine going elk hunting with 60 pounds on your back. Going uphill sucks, but it's easy to balance yourself. Well, easier than going downhill a lot of times anyway. The fall injuries that happen in the mountains often occur not when you're busting your butt to get uphill, but when you have to go back down and don't have the leg and core strength to manage the controlled descent of those downhill steps. In a roundabout way, this is like drawing a bow. You want strength and the control that comes with it. This results from drawing a bow consistently for months and months and years. It's the difference between making a subtle deliberate movement when the deer are close versus tipping your hand at them by making a herky-jerky movement to get your bow back. And it's the difference between staying calm and in the aiming game when you draw but don't have to get immediately settled with your pin and release. This is a big one, my friends. How often have you had this happen or heard someone tell a story about drawing on a buck only to have him stop for an extra minute or two? Here's the secret. That extra minute or two is probably more like 15 or 20 seconds. I've shot enough whitetails on film over the years to constantly be reminded of how much time gets diluted when you're trying to keep your shit together on a good one. It's amazing to me how often I'll think that an encounter lasted a minute when it was four, or how often I thought I was at full draw for a minute or two when the real tail of the tape was telling me that it was 20 seconds. It's always a shorter amount of time spent at full draw than I think it to be, and I bet that happens with you sometimes. There's also an intangible with this line of thought that involves focus. We only have so many seconds in our brain where we can do a task like aiming a bow, or I'd have to guess aiming a rifle, before things start to delaminate a little bit. Now, this is something that can be trained and should be trained. And the best way to do that is, you guessed it, shoot more. Shoot to work on your accuracy, but to also develop your muscle memory. Shoot more to get your brain in a spot where it's comfortable taking time with the process and not as likely to summon up some real panic when you least need it. Frequency and quality of practice sessions 
is something that we can all control. That matters because we choose to engage in a passion where so much of our success and enjoyment hinges on things way, way out of our control. The other hunters out there and the decisions they make, the deer themselves and the decisions they make, the weather, the coyotes, you name it. There's an awful lot of stuff that can conspire against your success in any given season or any given sit. But you can control whether you can hit what you're aiming at and whether you feel confident about that which is at least as important as actually being accurate. They go hand in hand, and it's pretty hard to assign a higher value on one or the other because they all contribute to the same end goal. So here it is. Here's my final plea to you. Think about how much you shoot. If it's enough where you feel really confident going into each season, carry on. You don't need my help. You're doing well. But if it's not, or you find yourself feeling a little guilt as the summer progresses and you think to yourself, I better get out and fling a few more arrows or some lead because fall will be here before I know it, then you might want to take a long look at your practice routine and try to just bump up the frequency a little bit more. Figure out how to do that, how to make target shooting an easier proposition, and then try to work it into just a doable routine. I promise you, even though it might feel like a pain in the ass that isn't quite necessary yet, it will absolutely, without a doubt, feel worth it when you're heading out for your first sit or better yet the first time this fall when you look down the trail to see a good buck working his way towards your setup that's it for this week i'm tony peterson and this has been the wired to hunt foundations podcast which is brought to you by first light as always thank you so much for listening and if you haven't scratched the whitetail itch enough this week head on over to our wired to hunt youtube channel to check out our latest how-to videos or visit themediator.com slash wired to read articles from Mark, myself, and a host of other whitetail killers. Hey, everybody knows Weber grills. I've been using Weber grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood pellet grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.